HeyYA is sponsored by Book Riot's slate of rad newsletters. Did you know Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre, as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world every day. And don't miss our newest newsletter, Our Queerest Shelves, which will deliver LGBTQ plus news and recommendations straight to your inbox. We've also got newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA lovers, that's you, mystery and thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for the newsletters that are most interesting to you. That's bookriot.com slash newsletters. Welcome to HeyYA! From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, HeyYA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. HeyYA is a Book Riot podcast hosted by me, Sarah Hannah Gomez. We are recording on Wednesday, March 24th, and I have news! My co-host Kelly Jensen has officially taken her maternity leave, which is sad because I'll miss Kelly, but it is also very exciting because soon we'll have a Book Riot baby to celebrate. And in the meantime, I'm excited to introduce all of you to Kelly's long-term sub, who you might know from some of Book Riot's other podcasts, Tirza Price. Hi, Tirza. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be hopping aboard the good ship Hey YA while Kelly is out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm super excited. And I think ideally people will notice that we already, you know, gel very well. And that's because we already talk to each other every other week for the Read Harder podcast, which is part of our insiders program. So plug for that at everyone. So we've been like podcasting together for a few months like three months now, I guess. So this is perfect. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It's just like, you know, instead of talking every other week, now we get to talk every week and we get to talk about our shared love, which is YA. There have been so many times on the Insiders uh, Read Harder podcast where we've both kind of tried to claim the same YA book. So clearly we are on the same track when it comes to YA. Most definitely. It's it's bad for Read Harder. I keep being like, I guess I should do like a grown-up book. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, definitely both of our first instinct is to go with YA. Yes. Well, and that is why we're very excited about this episode, because we were like, well, we already tried to basically go YA with every Read Harder challenge that we tackle every other week. So, like, why not just go all the way on this YA episode? So that is exciting. I'm very proud of the way we were able to find YA book recommendations for almost every single Read Harder challenge. Yeah, I mean, and a few YAs ineligible. So, you know, when you take those out, yeah, I think we only skipped like a couple. So for folks who don't know what the Read Harder challenge is, A, you can still listen to this episode because it's just about YA books. But B, you should know about it. Every year, Book Riot has a challenge of 24 tasks to help you kind of break out of your rut and experience new kinds of books. And that means, you know, new genres, new topics, new authors, new publishers, all kinds of stuff. It is a very humbling challenge, I will tell you, as someone (laughs) who's like, you should read more diversely. It's not even hard, Jessica. Like, I don't know why I use Jessica, but it's not even hard. Becky would be better. Um, but yeah, even when you're someone who reads diversely, there have definitely been a few tasks so far that I've been like, oh, snap. 
Yes. They definitely, like, push you outside of your comfort zone. And for me, it is, like, a really good moment to kind of look and see, like, okay, you know, I have the best intentions when it comes to reading diversely and, like, even buying diversely because I have a lot of books on my shelf that I have not read, as I imagine what? most of us do. <laughs> you know, imagine I that. know not of this life at all. <laughs> so this challenge is great because it's like, oh, wait, no, you actually have to read that. And... I always love, like, going to my shelves and being able to be like, okay, what do I already have that, like, will fit this challenge that I can actually finally read? Uh, Which, it turns out, is a lot of books, and so that's exciting. Uh, But also, like, we're super chill when it comes to the Read Harder Challenge. I know, like, chill and challenge seem like they should be on opposite ends of the spectrum, but we are like not prescriptive. It's like however you decide to interpret this challenge, however you want to try to tackle it, like Book Riot is open. Really, the only goal is to just get outside of your comfort zone. That's true. It's an honor system challenge. (laughs) Yeah. So this is going to be fun. I am excited. Um, So I will hit our first sponsor and then we can start running through the list. So our first sponsor today is Macmillan Audio and Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully. Listen to Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully, read by Isabella Star LeBlanc. In Firekeeper's Daughter, debut author Angeline Bully crafts a groundbreaking YA thriller about a native teen who must root out the corruption in her community. 18-year-old Donis Fontaine has never fit in, both in her hometown and on the nearby Ojibwe reservation. She dreams of a fresh start at college, But when family tragedy strikes, Donis puts her future on hold to look after her fragile mother. Everything comes to light when Donis witnesses a shocking murder, thrusting her into an FBI investigation of a lethal new drug. So thanks to Macmillan Audio and Firekeeper's Daughter. Yes, that one just hit the New York Times bestseller list, too. Did you see that? (gasps) I did not. So that is very exciting. Okay, so we're just going to go through in number order, even though on the Read Harder podcast, we kind of pick and choose and throw things around wherever. You can totally jump around, too, when you're completing this challenge. Like like I said, we're super chill. So the first task is read a book you've been intimidated to read. And this one obviously is super subjective <laughs> as far as like being able to give recommendations. But I know one thing that's been piling up for me is Anna Marie McLemore's books. Oh, yes. Anna Marie writes, I mean, it's like every book they write is, you know, wins some kind of something and everyone's talking about it. And, you know, the concept and the plot always sounds so good and the covers are gorgeous. And I still find magic realism, like, and Anna Marie's writing in general, I guess, like so lush and complex that sometimes I'm like, "Mm, I don't know that I can right now. Like, I don't know if I'm a good enough reader to do it. So I I have a stack and definitely Dark and Deepest Red is is staring at me right now, but also some of their others. Also, Anna Marie McLemore is like one of the sweetest people in the entire world. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, I've read everything they've written except for Miss Meteor, which they co-wrote with um, Taylor K. Mejia. And I... I'm totally going to get to that one. It's on my shelf. But I can totally understand that how some people might find their work intimidating just because you kind of have to go in with the mindset of like, I'm going to just like immerse myself in this beautiful, lyrical, very heavily metaphorical writing. 
And it's a wonderful, beautiful trip, but I, yeah, like it's not something that you can just kind of like pick up and put down very easily, I think. And like, especially their newest book, The Mirror Season, is a bit intense. So I can, yeah, I can totally see how people would be intimidated by their writing, but it's so worth it. Yeah, that probably is my big thing is not having the the free space in my head for the commitment, perhaps. But yeah, they all sound so good. And yeah, I forgot about Miss Meteor. I also have to finish that. And yeah, I mean, I'm just like staring at all of their covers right now being like, huh. <laughs> Like, they're so pretty. Can I put them on they're my so wall? They're so gorgeous. Like, I know. I love, love them all. Like, they get, like, the best cover look, I think. And, yeah, this is, like, a really subjective challenge. But I think that can be kind of fun because you can just, you know, decide how you want to define it. And then, like, literally any book that you can think of to, like, fit this challenge would be perfect. Like, I didn't have any specific books or authors um, written down for this challenge for this podcast. But I think that there are a lot of different ways that you can approach it. Like, there are just so many great options. Do you want to start number two? Yes. So number two is read a nonfiction book about anti-racism. And as you may be aware, if you've been paying attention to the bookish world at all, there are loads of great books about anti-racism that are out there. I would say that, you know, there are some very popular ones that get talked about a lot and they show up in a lot of the same lists. So we are actually going to talk about two books that are newer and or not as quite high profile. So I have not actually read this book yet. I'm going to just be upfront about that now. But I actually went to a bookstore for the first time in months today. Um, I masked up and I went, I know, it was so great. I just like walked in and I was like, I'm so happy right now. And I spent a lot of time just like looking at all of the books and filling my arms full of things and spending way too much money. It was the greatest. So one of the books I actually picked up because I knew that we were going to record this later was The Black Friend by Frederick Joseph. And this is a young adult nonfiction book. And it is kind of like written from the perspective of somebody who is, you know, the black friend and is talking about, you know, his experiences with like, racist microaggressions than to like actual, you know, more overt bad experiences with racism, but like also conversations with friends. And then he also brings in other like writers and activists to kind of get like their perspective. And basically, it's kind of like, you know, these are the things that you might not realize um and you can't just kind of say oh i don't need to think about being anti-racist because i have a black friend like no we all need to be aware of this so i'm really excited to read this it also has a really gorgeous cover it looks like he's got some really great contributors including angie thomas um so it's i think it's going to be a really great book i am going to read it very soon I keep getting that mixed up with there's another book that either just came out or is just about to come out called Sure I'll Be Your Black Friend. I yes, think. by Ben Philippe. That's by Ben Philippe. Yeah. So I keep thinking like, oh, I have that book. 
and then it's the other book, and then someone else says the book. Like I can't, I can't keep them straight. I think I want to read them both, but <laughs> I keep forgetting that they're two. Well, knowing how funny Ben Philippe is in his fiction, I'm sure that that one will also be a winner. Yes, I have talked about his book a lot. <laughs> so I struggled with this one for just the task in general, also for the, the Read Harder podcast, although we haven't done this episode yet. Because as a Black person, I appreciate that there are good anti-racism books coming out. I also am like, I, I can't. I'm too much. I'm just yeah. like not interested. I had to like stop reading a certain very popular one. Uh, but I just felt was too full of hotepery to move on. So I was like, I have to do something. And I came across a book that I have never heard of called Fighter in Velvet Gloves, Alaska civil rights hero Elizabeth Parachovich. It sounds so cool. It is about a Klingit woman who in the 40s was um, standing up for like the what they called the Alaska Anti-Discrimination Act, which was civil rights legislation long before you know Little Rock and Lyndon Johnson. And so I just I had never heard of this woman. I don't think even as a footnote or as a like people you've never heard of, but maybe we'll look up, but there are no books, like nothing. And I've been on kind of a roll lately reading Alaska Native picture books, just because I came across a bunch of them. And so this just felt like kismet. So I'm super duper excited to read it. And that is Fighter in Velvet Gloves, Alaska Civil Rights Hero Elizabeth Parachovich by Annie Bochiever and Roy A. Parachovich Jr. Yes, I came across that book a few weeks back, just while I was doing research for some other book riot stuff. And I was like, holy cow, how have I never heard of this person? Like, this sounds amazing. Right? like how rude i mean i guess i'm never surprised when i haven't heard of someone who's not white but (laughs) (laughs) still number three is read a non-european novel in translation and i did struggle with this one because there's a lot of really great non-european novels in translation but like why translations in general tend to not really gain a lot of traction here. And sometimes it's really hard to find a lot. But you guys did an episode on translations, right? We did. I was just going to say, I'll have to remember to put a link to that other episode in the show notes. But yeah, they're they're few and far between. And yeah, the biggest translated market in the US is picture books. That is interesting, but it makes sense to me. Right. Yes. Sadly, uh, I agree. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's, well, I think in general, even if you aren't like having to work with a translation, just like breaking into the US YA market when you're not American or even just like Canadian, British or Australian is very hard. So it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, and it's partly because the U.S. has a very strong and very dominant YA market, and we tend to export more books than we do um, importing them. So that is unfortunate, though. So that's, that's why this is actually a very good challenge, I think. I'm actually, I, like, I swear I'm not going to do this for every challenge, but I'm going to shout out a book that I just got a pitch for that sounds really interesting, and it's called Colorful. And it's written by Ido Mori. It's Japanese. It's being put out by Counterpoint Press this summer. And Counterpoint Press doesn't normally put out 
YA books, but it's, you know, being translated into English for the first time. It's been made into a movie by Amazon Prime in Japan. It is about a soul that is like given this chance to kind of like restart and live a new life in the body of a 14 year old who's just died. I don't know much about it except for like it's, it has a big focus on um, teens and mental health. So I am excited to actually check this book out. You know, hopefully by the time we record our episode on this in the Read Harder podcast, I'll have had a chance to read it so I can talk about it more. But um, that one seems like it's very exciting. That is cool. Yeah, that's so interesting that a lot of like worldwide bestsellers are only just now getting translated into English. It's speaking of humbling reading. It's very like, oh, not everything is for me all the time. And that doesn't mean it's irrelevant or not famous. (laughs) So yeah, that sounds really cool. My pick, um, one of the fun things about doing this episode is a lot of it is just me putting, taking books from my TBR, not books that I've read yet. So it's like giving me more reason to bump them up on the list. And so my pick is Bronze and Sunflower by Cao Wenshan, and it's translated by Helen Wong. So um, I'll just read the little Goodreads thing. When Sunflower, a young city girl, moves to the countryside, she grows to love the reed marshlands, the endlessly flowing river, the friendly buffalo with their strong backs and shiny round heads, the sky that stretches on and on in its vastness. However, the days are long and the little girl is lonely. Then she meets Bronze, who, unable to speak, is ostracized by the other village boys. Soon the pair are inseparable, and when Bronze's family agree to take Sunflower in, it seems that fate has brought him the sister he has always longed for. But life in Demidi is hard, and Bronze's family can barely afford to feed themselves. Can the little city girl stay here in this place where she has finally found happiness? So it it sounds like it's a sort of like middle grade to YA crossover bit, but I guess I'll find out more after I read it. So that's Bronze and Sunflower by Cal Wenchun. Awesome. Um, number four is read an LGBTQ plus history book, which I think is especially important at the YA and teen level because speaking as a millennial, I feel like you know, I just don't have a super great grasp on LGBTQ history. You know, it was not taught in schools. Um, you know, I think like maybe I had like a very, 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 very brief mention of Harvey Milk in my entire high school experience, but like that was it. And I've found that like people of my generation and younger have like no concept of like AIDS and just so many important moments in LGBTQ history. So I'm excited to see more LGBTQ history books that are coming out that are targeted towards teens even. Agree. I don't think I had even heard of Harvey Milk when I was in school. So like, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, you know, it's, it's very frustrating to hear that, like, there's so much resistance to teaching it and talking about it. Like, I maybe like the most LGBTQ plus history that I got was like, in lit classes, like a textbook might mention that like a famous writer was rumored to be queer. But like, I think I was like firmly in college before I was even like, oh, Oscar Wilde. Um, so yeah, like, I sincerely hope that like the state of education for high schoolers is better when it comes to LGBTQ plus history now. But like, I'm also not like super holding my breath for a lot of places in this country. So this is a really good challenge. This is really good to, you know, just just get 
teens like aware of the fact that like queer people did not like spring into existence 50 years ago when the stonewall riots happened (laughs) i don't have much to add except like yes agree need more (laughs) (laughs) and to that end my pick for this is queer there and everywhere 23 people who changed the world by sarah prager so i read this when it came out in 2017 and it was kind of mind-blowing So it's a bunch of people who, I mean, the title alone is great. It's like a cute pun. There were a few that I was like, oh, of course, you know, like I've heard of this person. I knew they were gay. I'm, you know, I wasn't born yesterday, even if I didn't get LGBTQ history in school. And then others, I was genuinely like completely shocked. And now that I've read this book, it gets to be my cool trivia bit. Like Abraham Lincoln was gay. Yes. That was my, I think, the most (laughs) fun bit I got out of that book. But it's these, like, very accessible, like, mini mini biographies, you know, but focusing on the parts of their lives that, you know, intersected with their queer identities. But, yeah, Abe Lincoln was gay. I love it. I love this book, too. I also read it back when it first came out. I like that at the beginning of every chapter, there's, like, a too-long-didn't-read little summary, which is... You know, I don't encourage you to just like go by that, but it is kind of funny to just the way they sum it up. It's so great. (laughs) Agree. (laughs) So my pick is The Stonewall Riots coming out into the streets by Gail Pittman. And this, I would say this is like upper middle grade, lower YA, but like it's one of those books that doesn't look too young if you have a YA reader who just doesn't know much about The Stonewall Riots. And this is like a really good like first introductory book into like what were the stonewall riots what happened who were you know the major players and i like this book because it takes like different objects and photos and sort of like these archival i almost want to say like evidence pieces to build this history of like the context of like what led up to the stonewall riots what happened and then what came after so it's probably, you know, it's it's not a very thick book. It's not, you know, the most in-depth book that you can find out there about Stonewall, but it is a really, really great book for younger readers and for teen readers who are looking to learn some more. So that is The Stonewall Riots Coming Out Into the Streets by Gail Pittman. Excellent. Number five is read a genre novel by an indigenous First Nations Aboriginal or Native American author. We should do a whole episode on the meaning of the word genre and all of those things. But I think we both took this to mean like science fiction, fantasy, mystery thriller. Yes. And my first pick was a really fantastic novel that I read a couple of years ago called The Things She's Seen by Amblin and Ezekiel Quay Molina. And they are aboriginal from australia their brother sister and they've co-written this novel and it is this, like very beautiful very heartbreaking story of a teenager named beth who at the beginning of the book is dead like she died in a car accident before the book even started and she's just kind of hanging out as a ghost 
As one does. <laughs> As one does, you know. Um, so she is hanging out as a ghost. The only person who can see her is her father. And her father is understandably pretty wrecked about, you know, her death and her loss. And he's not handling it very well. Her father works as a police officer. And so Beth is kind of like, you know, come on, dad. Like, you've got to, you got to, like, rejoin the land of the living at some point. And so... When there is this mysterious case that happens in a small town that he gets called to, she really encourages him to go and take on this case. And basically what happens is that there's a fire and it's like a group home for teenagers who um, need a place to stay. And it burns down to the ground and none of the teenagers die, but like two adults are dead in the fire and like they can't identify one of the bodies. So. Beth, as a ghost, is trying to help her dad figure out this mystery. Her dad's investigating. But then they also meet another mysterious young woman who kind of seems to come out of nowhere. And she kind of holds, like, the missing piece to this whole mystery. It is a very short book. It's under 200 pages. But, like, it just, like, punch you in the face with how amazing it is. So I highly recommend The Things She's Seen by Amblin and Ezekiel Quaymolina. There is a different title in Australia. That is the American title. And I cannot remember it right now. For the life of me, I'm sorry. So if you're just confused, search the author's name and you'll find it. (laughs) And mine, um, Cynthia Leidick-Smith, is someone people might know more recently for Hearts Unbroken or for the fact that she has, I mean, she has an amazing blog with tons of resources. She's one of those people who really just like shares a lot in the kid lit and YA community. She now has her own imprint called Heart Drum. But before all of those things, she wrote about vampires and werewolves. So if people want to dig yes. into somebody's backlist, they should start with Tantalize. And yeah, vampires and werewolves. I feel like that's all I need to say. Yes, vampires and werewolves in Austin, Texas, if I do recall correctly. Oh, yeah. Okay. There you go. Uh, yeah, I, I read Tantalize years ago, and I really enjoyed it. So, number seven, read a fat positive romance. I will plug I'll Be the One by Lila Lee, which I've talked about in a few episodes ago, I think. It's delightful. I don't even like romance, and I loved everything about this book, the end. So my pick is Fat Chance Charlie Vega by Crystal Maldonado, and it is about Charlie Vega, who has a crush on a guy, and he seems like, you know, maybe he might have a crush on her too, but then she finds out that, like, he actually asked out her skinny, beautiful best friend first, and so she's got some complicated feelings about that. I feel like I don't have to go super into this book, because if you're a long-time listener to this podcast, I know Kelly did a great extra credit episode in which she and Crystal talked a lot. Um, So definitely check that one out if you missed it. Yes. Um, Number eight is read a romance by a trans or non-binary author. So I went with one that I had identified as a potential for read harder anyway, and that is May the Best Man Win by Z.R. Eller and comes out in May. So perfect. You can pre-order it now. But it is about a boy who's a cheer captain and student body president. Uh, And he's like, my senior year is going to be dope. I don't need anyone to mess with it. And so he decides to challenge his ex-boyfriend for the title of Homecoming King, which like 
That's great. I didn't need to like keep reading the, <laughs> the description after that. I was like, sold. And I'm very excited to read it. Comes out in May. And that's May the Best Man Win by Z.R. Eller. Awesome. So my pick is also something that doesn't come out until May. And I'm super excited to read it. It is Meet Cute Diary by Emery Lee. And it is the story of a guy who writes this anonymous Meet Cute Diary blog of trans meet cutes. And kind of sort of passes it off as like, oh, no, this is all real life. But like when it comes out that like it's there, the stories are actually fiction. Like he writes them kind of like as a source of like hope for himself. You know, his credibility is kind of called into question. And so he has to kind of, you know, regain it. And so he embarks on a fake dating scheme. So if fake dating is your jam, then I think Meet Cute Diary by Emery Lee is for you. So then number 10 is read an SFF anthology edited by a person of color. And we did this Read Harder episode. So you guys should sign up for Insiders. There's a free two-week trial. Okay, I'll stop. (laughs) My choice was A Thousand Beginnings and Endings edited by Elsie Chapman and Ellen O. It's lovely. It has all of the YA authors you like, and it really does take the like AAPI acronym seriously. So it is people from all over the Asian diaspora and the Asian continent, including the Indian subcontinent, if you will, and Pacific. Yeah, it's all these authors just taking on, you know, various myths and fairy tales from their, you know, home cultures or heritage or however they identify. And it has these really great little mini essays after each story where the author talks about where they got their inspiration, which is a bonus if it's something that you were already familiar with because you, you know, share that identity, or it's just a really nice, like, extra afterthought if you're not familiar with it. So A Thousand Beginnings and Endings is my pick. Awesome. And one of my picks was A Universe of Wishes, which is edited by Danielle Clayton. And it is a We Need Diverse Books anthology. Has so many great, amazing stories. You know, stories from Rebecca Roanhorse, Lippa Bray, of course, Danielle Clayton. I mean, just a really great lineup. And they are all kind of stories that um span like the fantasy sci-fi you know spectrum but it's kind of about just like a universe of possibilities and wishes and magical things that happen so this is a really really great collection of short stories and yes go check out our episode on this challenge because i go into a lot more detail about why i love this book Yeah. And then there's two other picks on that episode, too. Yes. (laughs) Number 11, read a food memoir by an author of color. It's funny because we both went with chefs who originally wrote their memoirs for adults and then had them adapted for YA, which, again, whole entire episode about that. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) well, I mean, I can't think of a food memoir by an author of color that was like originally written for a YA audience. So neither can I. Yeah, this is like one of those instances where... We are very fortunate that there is a very thriving market for adults, memoirs, and nonfiction being adapted for younger audiences, whether that's, you know, children or teens, because, I I mean, yes, I feel like sometimes it's the only way we get some of these really amazing stories that, you know, just otherwise aren't being told in YA. Yeah, definitely. 
So I went with Make It Messy by Marcus Samuelson. Um, it was Yes Chef in its original adult form. The adaptation was co-written by Veronica Chambers, who I was like, well, then it's going to be great because Veronica Chambers is awesome. Oh, she's great. And yeah, Marcus Samuelson just has such an interesting life. He was born in Ethiopia, adopted by a Swedish couple, and now he lives and works in Harlem. So he like just has all kinds of interesting ways he blends his food I say this as if I've tasted any of it, but you know, you watch Food Network and then all of a sudden these people are your friends. So, <laughs> right. Uh, so, my recommendation is the YA adaptation of Notes from a Young Black Chef by Kwame Anwachi. He is a black chef who, you know, was sent to Nigeria and he learned all sorts of amazing different cooking techniques and styles. He has been on Top Chef. I, I don't watch Top Chef, so I'm not quite sure. Is that like something that he started or he competed on? I, I don't know what that show is. I'm sorry. I'm showing my ignorance here. Uh, yeah, um, we're, I'll fix you. <laughs> I'll introduce you to it. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, yes, well, we'll get there. Um, so yeah, this is going to be, I think, a really interesting book because I have not read the adult memoir. I'm kind of holding out for the young readers edition, but, um, it looks like it's a really good book that kind of touches on like coming of age as he broke into the food world and how unwelcoming the food world is often for people of color. So definitely look for the YA adaptation that is coming out in April, I believe. Nice. So do you want to talk about our next sponsor? Yeah. So our second sponsor is Oni Lion Forge Publishing and the Hazards of Love Volume 1, Bright World by Stan Stanley. Amparo's deal with the talking cat was simple. A drop of blood in order to become a better person. But when the cat steals their name and their body becoming the better person that they were promised, Amparo's spirit is imprisoned in a land of terrifying creatures known as Bright World. To return to the other side and see their true love again, Amparo must use every bit of cleverness to escape. This book centers a queer, non-binary protagonist, um, because Amparo identifies as non-binary, uses they-them pronouns, and it is a Mesoamerican-inspired fantasy. The cast is predominantly Latinx, and the author is originally from Mexico, now living in New York City. The comic style is one of urban fantasy with a touch of horror. It is heavily influenced by 60s movies from Mexico and Mexican Gothic horror. It is available now, and that is The Hazards of Love by Stan Stanley. So we're going to head into number 13, which is read a book with a cover you don't like. And this is another one of those, like, real easy ones because you can pick anything and everything as long as you don't like the cover. So I'm going to go first. Please, nobody you know, shoot me, but Gabby, A Girl in Pieces by Isabel Quintero is a fantastic, wonderful, amazing book. The cover is not my favorite. And if you've never seen the cover, I, I mean, definitely Google it because it's very unique and it's very eye-catching and memorable. And for that, like, I think it kind of does its job, but it's just... To me, I didn't like it because I feel like it kind of made me go, what is going on? Not like, ooh, I want to read that book. 
But I read the book, and once you read the book, you understand why the cover is the cover. And then it's like, oh, my God, that's so beautiful. So it's kind of like I, I go back and forth on that cover a lot. But the book is fantastic. It's this beautiful epistolary story, coming of age. Um, it's one of, like, the most realistic, real you know, had me laughing and kind of crying epistolary novels. So I highly recommend Gabby, A Girl in Pieces by Isabel Quindaro. Agree. It's wonderful. My pick is The Darkness Outside Us by Elliot Schrafer. So this comes out in June, and I have loved every one of Elliot's books in the Ape Quartet. So I was like, well, of course I'm going to read this too. And so it's about like space, which when space is done well, I really like it. And again, he's a great writer, so I was down to to watch it. And um, it's, you know, two boys alone in space. What will they get up to? And it has a cover that, you know, very, like, it speaks to the whole, like, this is going to be a romance bit. But I think it's, like, the two boys looking at each other and they're next to, what is it, a porthole? Is that with the, that window? Yes. Uh, yeah. So it has this weird reflective thing where you can see, you know, part of their faces reflecting back. And it has this sort of, like peachy sheen over it and the thumbnail especially gives me a, like gives me vertigo when it's bigger <laughs> it's it's a little less jarring but i've been looking at the thumbnail because nobody will give me actual paper books anymore and i don't like it it's dizzying so <laughs> and that's the darkness outside us by elliot schrafer so number 14 is read a realistic YA book not set in the US, UK, or Canada, because as we talked about earlier, this is a little bit difficult for for YA since we have such a US-dominated market. So I thought this would be a very fun challenge to just get us reading books that are set outside of the U.S. and all of those common locations, um, especially a realistic book, because I think we tend to see more fantasy set in other places, but not so much realistic YA. That's a good point. Yeah. My first pick is um, Castle in the Clouds by Castine Gear, and it is actually in translation. I believe it was originally published in German. And it's um, translated by Romy Firstland. And it is set in Switzerland. It is about a very grand, fancy, fancy hotel that's way up high in the Swiss Alps. And a teenager named Sophie, who is working as an intern at this hotel. And each year they throw this like fabulous New Year's Eve party. And she's working and, you know, hoping that the party will be a wonderful success and go off without a hitch. But of course, things start happening that kind of threaten the party. And she's got to sort of solve a few little mysteries to kind of pull it all together. So it's just very charming and very heartwarming. And I love the cover. The cover just is, I don't know, maybe the cover looks a little bit young because I've had people look at it and be like, is it middle grade? But it's definitely YA, but I think the cover is beautiful. Yeah. My pick actually starts in the U.S., but it, you know, mostly takes place in South Korea. So I figured it counts. It's one of like five K-pop books coming out this spring and summer. <laughs> it is XOXO by Axio, which is just fun to say. And it's about a girl who really, like, she plays the cello. She's brilliant at it. She just wants to get into this really fancy music school. 
meets a boy one night in a karaoke bar. And then, you know, like he's cute. They go, they have this like fun night. And then months later, she and her mom go to South Korea and she meets that guy at the school that she's enrolled at. And it turns out he's in a K-pop band and not supposed to date. So that, I mean, it's just such a great setup. Doesn't come out till July, but people can um, pre-order it now, and then we can talk about it again later. So yeah, XOXO by Axio. Love that title. So the next challenge is number 15, Read a Memoir by a Latinx author. And I picked Enchanted Air by Margarita Engel for this one. This is a beautiful poetry memoir. And it has won a lot of awards, like a Pure Belper um, Award. It won the Yalsa Nonfiction Award. I think it also either won or was an honor for the Walter Dean Myers Award. So definitely a great one. And it is Margarita's story of growing up, basically like living in the U.S., but she kind of feels like her heart belongs in Cuba because that is where her mother is from. And it's about growing up during the Cold War, especially when the, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis happens and the Bay of Pigs invasion. So just a lot of political turmoil and had her as, you know, this young woman wondering how it's going to affect her family and how it's going to affect her life. So this is just a really, really beautiful book. I remember reading it. I don't know, it's probably been like three or four years since I've read it. But it is probably, I would say, on the younger YA spectrum, but such a great book. That is Enchanted Air by Margarita Engel. It is lovely. And there's a sequel memoir that I have not read. Oh, that's right. I had forgotten about that. Thank you for mentioning it. Yes, I forget. Soaring Soaring Earth, I think it's what it's called. I'll look it up. All right. So number 16 is read an own voices book about disability. And I think you could go either way with this one, like fiction, nonfiction, just, you know, do your research. And um, I think like disability representation is one where we're still struggling to see like really good, you know, own voices examples. So I think it's important to just kind of be aware of that one. But um, one book that I am going to recommend is Laughing at My Nightmare by Shane Burkaw. It is a memoir of how he basically lives with spinal muscular atrophy and he, you know, uses a wheelchair. He has to really just move through the world differently than most people. And he has this like very, very sharp, sarcastic um, sense of humor. And his writing really does just a lot to illuminate like how he lives. He also challenges assumptions that people make about his life and what it's like and what he is able to do. His first book is Laughing at My Nightmare, which I think, you know, that will give you a little bit of an idea of his sense of humor. But his second book, which I've also read, is Strangers Assume My Girlfriend is My Nurse. So either one of those I think would be really great. They're really funny. And they just really, you know, get at 
that like, this is my life. It's probably not exactly what you think, but I'm going to share, you know, all the details. And he is not afraid <laughs> to get like very real um, with some of those details. And I, it, I just thought that it was really both of those books are really fascinating and really funny. Yeah, I do. I see that come up a lot and I still haven't read it. I probably should. Yeah, I saw him speak once at a library conference and I was just like, oh man, I'm going to go read those books. And they were really good. Yeah, he sounds hilarious. And since you did nonfiction, I figured I would go with fiction. And this is a book I have been meaning to read for ages. And that is Unbroken, 13 Stories Starring Disabled Teens. It's edited by Marika Nykamp, who uh, was one of the original founders of We Need Diverse Books when it was first becoming an organization, not just a hashtag. And there are 12 other contributors. It really runs the gamut. There's physical disabilities, um, mental illness, neurodiversity, and there are people of color represented. There's Heidi Heilig, Cody Keplinger, Karuna Riazzi, tons of tons of people. Kayla Whaley, I think this might have been her first published fiction. Kayla Whaley is known for a lot of her you know, reviewing and activism and stuff. So yeah, I'm really excited to read it. And I feel terrible that I haven't read it yet because I've had it for so long. But it's nice because you get to meet a lot of authors you might not already know. And you know, there are multiple genres represented. So there's something for everyone. And that's Unbroken, edited by Marika Nykamp. Awesome. Number 17 is Read and Own Voices YA Book with a Black main character that isn't about Black pain. And... I think this is a great challenge because, um, as we said, this was our first actually episode of our Read Harder Challenge year. And it's a good challenge because just as we read lots of books about anti-racism, we need to be reading books that celebrate joy and discovery and all of the good things in life. But also, you know, having hardships that aren't just centered around racism. So my what? first book, <laughs> I know, imagine that. Sounds like a lie. <laughs> Oh, Lord, we're we're laughing, but it's yeah. <laughs> so my first pick is Now That I Found You by Christina Forrest, which I loved so much. It is about a girl who wants to become an actress, just like her very famous grandmother, who was like, you know, a 1960s, 1970s Hollywood starlet and has just continued to like work in Hollywood and be mega famous. But like in the last 10 years, she has withdrawn from the public eye and to her granddaughter's knowledge, just like never goes out and never does anything or goes anywhere. So Evie has just about landed a like breakthrough role for her career. And then she loses it. And I won't tell you how, because you might want to read that and find out for yourself. But basically she loses it. She feels like her career is over. She has one chance to salvage her career, but she needs to go to her grandmother and like get her blessing. And so she travels to New York City to visit her grandmother and her grandmother has like disappeared. And it's not like a dark and nefarious disappearance. It's just like, she's like, nope, I'm, I'm gonna go off on my own for a bit, you know, catch you later type of thing. And Evie's like, I need her like right now. So she teams up with her grandmother's grocery delivery guy, who is this very cute teenage boy. 
And they have, like, wild adventures across New York City trying to find her grandmother. So it is a very lovely book about, you know, just coming of age and figuring out, you know, what you want to do with your life, but also whose opinion in life really matters and, like, who are the people that you should be listening to. So that's Now That I Found You by Christina Forrest. I really need to read that, mostly just so you stop talking about it, not because it doesn't sound good, <laughs> but just because every time I see you write it somewhere, then I have Alison Krauss stuck in my head for a good, like, three hours. <laughs> like, right now, that's my earworm. I'm happy to help. <laughs> so, one of the non-Black Pain books I have enjoyed recently is Charming as a Verb by Ben Philippe. It is hilarious. It is about a, you know, too smart for his own good and too much of a smart ass for his own good boy in New York who has a really genius side hustle to both save money for college, but also to make his college applications look good. He's, you know, got this single minded focus on Columbia, but he's also like kind of king of the class, like pretty much everyone likes him. And so when his neighbor finds out his secret to his side hustle, she sort of blackmails him and says she won't tell as long as he kind of makes her more cool. So, you know, it's kind of, I like that it's a play on that romance trope, but it's, you know, not, it's really them like becoming friends. And yeah, the whole book is just so much fun. You know, there's still like stuff that happens because otherwise it wouldn't be a book if everything was happy all the time. But it's just this fun, like prep school drama, but very real, like I'm really freaked out about my future and he's really into shoes and ugh, it's just great. So that's Charming as a Verb by Ben Fleep. We're going to go into number 19, which is read a historical fiction um, novel with a person of color, LGBTQ plus protagonist. And I just absolutely loved Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Belinda Lowe. It just came out this year. It is set in 1953, and it's about a young Chinese-American woman named Lily who has grown up in San Francisco's Chinatown. And she... Um, lives unbeknownst to her until the start of the book, just a couple of blocks away from uh, the Telegraph Club, which she sees an ad for one day. And the ad has a male impersonator on it. And she just becomes like very, very fascinated by this because it speaks to something inside her of her that she doesn't quite yet have words for. And so she has this chance encounter with a classmate at school. They both decide to um, sneak out at night and go to the Telegraph Club, which they come to find out is a club where queer women gather and their their eyes are open to this world and it changes their lives. So it's Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe. Melinda Lowe is an absolute, you know, YA master. So don't miss this book. I'm super excited for that one. I decided to go with All the Days Past, All the Days to Come by Mildred D. Taylor. Um, so lots of people probably read Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry in like late elementary or early middle school. I think it was one of our like sixth grade language arts books, if I recall correctly. And this is a book that just came out last year. So it has Cassie, who was the main kid character in Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, but now she's a young adult. So it goes um, all over the country, and it takes place mainly in the 60s, and she goes back to Mississippi, goes home to help with voter registration. So I'm just really interested to get reacquainted with Mildred Taylor. Nice. 
Very quickly, I'm going to touch on number 20, which is read a book of nature poems, which, again, poetry and YA, it does exist, but like this specific challenge, not as much. However, I did find Castaway by Naomi Nihab Nye, which is... I think it might be technically like an upper middle grade, maybe lower YA collection of nature poems kind of centered around, you know, just the earth and and saving the planet and really taking care of this one earth and home that we have. Um, so I'm really excited to read that, especially because this number 20 is going to be our next Read Harder challenge episode. And... We're doing it because April is Poetry Month, but then we also have Earth Day. So that's going to be a fun one. Yes. Oh, I didn't even think about how that <laughs> worked <laughs> double. <laughs> we made that work. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, totally on purpose. I totally knew that was going to happen. So um, number 22 is read a book set in the Midwest. And my choice is another book that I I know I will adore and just haven't managed to pick up yet because books. And that is You Should See Me in a Crown by Leah Johnson. Awesome. So, yes, I'm super excited. It's about a girl who you know lives in a town where everyone's obsessed with prom. And she's like, ugh. And decides that, you know, her, her future lies in getting the heck out of Dodge and going to a really fancy college, being in their orchestra, and then being a doctor, as one does. And when her plans sort of fall apart, she decides that she needs to still go to that school. And that means winning a scholarship that is reserved for prom king and queen, which don't get me started on how unethical that is, but it makes (laughs) for a good setup for a book. It's such a great hook. (laughs) Very excited to read it. And that's You Should See Me in a Crown by Leah Johnson. Yes. So my pick is The Initial Insult by Mindy McGinnis a retelling of The Cask of Amontillado, the short story by Edgar Allan Poe. And it's about two ex-best friends who kind of come to um, this moment of conflict and trying to figure out what happened when one of the girl's parents disappeared like seven years earlier. It's really, really good. It also has a horrible cliffhanger ending. So if you need to wait until the second book comes out, which I think will be out sometime next year, totally understand, but is one of my favorite books I've read so far this year. I don't think I realized it was going to be a series, so glad I haven't picked it up yet. I will wait. <laughs> I, yeah, I think just a duology. I think it's just going to be two books. Um, and like book two is announced for like next spring. But yeah, it's what, you know, some people say like, oh, it has a cliffhanger ending. I'm usually like, no, it's just an open ending. But like this one has like a literal cliffhanger ending. And I was like, she did not. Yes, she did. <laughs> okay. Well, now I know. I will reserve that for a bit later. We've almost made it. Number 23 is read a book that demystifies a common mental illness. We have also done this episode already. So again, folks, insiders. And we discussed how demystifying a mental illness is sort of impossible, but um, (laughs) gives insight into or is a good window into, I think is how we decided to define it. (laughs) Something like that. So I went with like an older one, but one that is a classic. And that is Marcello in the Real World by Francisco X. Stork. 
I talk about his disappeared and illegal books so, so much. But this is my first book of his that I read. And it's about a boy named Marcelo who has something like autism. And his father is like, no, you need to like learn how to live in the real world and makes him (laughs) be like the mailroom boy for the summer at his job when all Marcelo wanted was to do his, he works at like a school that has like therapeutic horse riding. And that's what he wants to keep doing. And instead he has to go be the mailboy so that he can learn how to survive the real world. Yeah. Marcelo in the real world, a classic by Francisco X. Stork. My pick is The Edge of Anything by Nora Shalloway Carpenter. And this is a really great book if you're looking for something that doesn't have any romance. It's a really awesome friendship story. It is about two teenage girls named Len and Sage. And Len is a sort of photographer loner and she has OCD and her OCD has been brought on by a traumatic event in her life and she does not understand that it is OCD that she is um, you know living with and it's very scary for her because she doesn't understand what's happening and she becomes friends with Sage, who is a uh, much more outgoing and popular volleyball player who, at the beginning of the book, gets some really, really just absolutely awful news that she has a heart condition that can be made a lot worse by physical activity, especially like the intense kind of physical activity that she does on the volleyball team. And so basically she has to stop doing contact sports or like she could literally like die immediately. And this is devastating for her because her plan was to, you know, go to college on a volleyball scholarship and scouts for college were coming to check out her game. And so these two girls are kind of like in their own moments of crisis and they become friends and through their friendship kind of have to help figure out how to support one another. So that is The Edge of Anything by Nora Shalloway Carpenter. Oh my god, it's the last one! Last one! Number 24. Read a book featuring a beloved pet where the pet doesn't die. Can I just say, I respect the spirit of this challenge. (laughs) Because I know that, like, dead dog is a trope that is bothersome to many people. May I also say that I don't care for animals, or animal stories, (laughs) or animal picture books, or animals in my life. Unless it's like goofy animal friends. Like if you want to show me a video of like a parrot and a hedgehog being friends, I'm probably going to be like, right on. But otherwise, don't particularly care. So this is, this might have been the hardest challenge for me. And I decided to go with a book I've been talking about on the last few episodes, but whatever. It's Elatsue by Darcy Little Badger and illustrated by Ravina Kai. You should read this book for a bazillion of reasons, but I decided it would fit the task for me because... She has a pet. It's a dog. And it's a ghost, so it's already dead, which means it didn't die. And I win. (laughs) I appreciate your logic. (laughs) Oh, So I am the opposite. I love animals. I grew up on a farm. I mean, like, I've had horses. I, you know, was in 4-H. I have a dog and two cats. And I, I can read animal death, but sometimes I'm just like, Gosh, dang it. Like, why did you do that? Like, I sometimes I feel like animal death is like a sh- sort of emotional cheat. 
<laughs> because people just really react to animal death and sometimes people kill off animals senselessly. So I picked The Babysitter's Coven by Kate Williams because there is a dog. It is her pet. She loves him very much. He doesn't play that huge of a role in the book, but like he's obviously prominent enough that I remember him and he doesn't die. So The Babysitter's Coven, if you've not checked it out, is about this girl named Esme who has a babysitter's club, which is, you know, she totally was inspired by Anna M. Martin. And she's now a high schooler, and it's just her and her best friend left in this babysitter's club. And one day, this new girl comes up to her and is like, yo, I want to join your babysitter's club. And she's like, seriously? Okay, cool. That would be nice, I guess, even though it's kind of lame. Um, but if you're down, <laughs> come on over. And basically, like, at the same time, she's noticing, like, really weird things happening in her day-to-day life. And, like, the kids that she's babysitting are, like, telling her, like, these really scary stories of, like, creatures trying to get into their bedrooms and kidnap them. And she comes to find out that, like, this new girl is the key to, like, figuring out that they are, like, the babysitters. They're, like, Buffy-style protectors. And there is basically a portal to another dimension, and they have to protect the children from the big bad. It is fantastic. And, yes, there's a dog in it. He doesn't die. I cannot vouch for the sequels, though, because I have not read the sequels yet. But I was delighted by The Babysitter's Coven by Kate Williams. I've been wanting to read that one for a while. So you just sold it, though. It's been on my, like, vague TBR, you know, because there's, like, different levels of TBR. And it's been on my, like, sounds cool. But now it's on my, like, let's actively make a plan to read it. That was so much. It was also so much fun. But we should wrap up so people don't hate us. But if you don't (laughs) hate us... You can listen to us more often because we're both on the Read Harder podcast, too. Hooray! So thank you for stepping in, Terza. I know we were not supposed to start with you right away. You were supposed to have a little more time to prep. But what can you do when babies want to do their baby thing? Babies are unpredictable. (laughs) Yeah. So we wish Kelly well, of course. And I'm super excited for baby photos as soon as the baby actually gets here. In the meantime, thank you all for tuning in this week. Please um, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It lets us know how we're doing, and it helps other people find us. Also, make sure you visit bookriot.com for newsletters, even more podcasts, and all things bookish. Thank you again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible, and thank you to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who puts up with me being really bad at modulating my voice. You can follow me, Sarah Hannah Gomez, on Twitter and Instagram as shgmclicious, as well as on Instagram as bookishgirlfit. And Tirza, how about you? I am on Twitter and Instagram as at Tirza Price, and that's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. Excellent. We will talk to you all again in two weeks. Happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.